going through the book of Numbers at, at like lightning quick speed. You guys do not like to sit together, do you? This is about as far apart <laughs> as you could possibly be. All right, that's all right. Um, <laughs> so, um, thank you, Christian. Uh, so, uh, in Numbers 20, probably the, the thing that you need to know more than anything else is that this is the, the transition to the end of the wilderness wanderings. So, if the book of Numbers is, is largely a history of the 38 years that they wandered through the wilderness, uh, in chapter 20 is when you really begin to see that that 30, I'll just say 40 years, comes to an end. So they come up out of Egypt, uh, they're given the law, and then they go, originally they were going to come up from the south like this, but then you're going to see they wander in the wilderness, and then this is really the... the, uh, the path that they're going to take, and they're going to enter the promised land through this way. And so there's going to be, this journey is really where we are, um, and it's after the wanderings in the wilderness for 40 years, and, and they're moving that way. So um, let's just go ahead and read. We got a microphone. Give, give that to Mike Starnes. Let him read. Verse 1, and then keep the mic, Michael, and because and I'll, I'll have you read some more in a minute. So Just one? Yeah, just one to start out. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So here's the wilderness of Zin right here, and here's Kadesh, and this would have been Basically, the jumping off point when they first got the law and they were going to come up from the south, this was where they were going to do it. Um, and so, basically, what we've done is we've gone 40 years and you're right back to where you started. Right? That's kind of the, the situation that we have. Um, uh, they call this the first month. We don't know um, exactly what time of the year that was, but this is their first month, which would coordinate with them coming up out of Egypt. So again, you see kind of these cycles going on, brought you up out of Egypt, you, you know, same place that you were 30, 40 years ago, you're back here again in this first month. So God's going to do a new work of uh, redemption uh, as he's going to bring this new generation into the promised land. So, okay, so Michael, go ahead and read verses uh, 2 through 11. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have ye brought us brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, and we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us in unto this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye under the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, and he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Okay, so I didn't mention this in verse 1, but we do have Miriam's death. And uh, Miriam, we know, like rebelled against the Lord. Remember, she, she had the leprosy. And, um, and yet she is honored here by explaining that her burial is going on. So that's a... That's a good thing. So you're going to have this idea of 
Um, some people who are not going into the promised land, they are given some honor. And so that, that's happened here. Um, that's just kind of going back. I'm sorry, I should have said that before we got to what Mike just read. But in verses 2 through 11, we again come to a problem. What's the problem in verse 2? No water. Okay, again, um, hopefully you guys are getting the pattern of this. A lot of times when bad things happen to us, we immediately think that we've done something wrong to bring this about. What have I done? What's been wrong? But as you look at this situation, why do you think, just step back a minute, you've heard what Mike just read, why do you think God brought them to a place where they have no water? What do you think his purposes are, his good purposes for giving them this really a challenge? Yes, he wants his people to depend upon him. Excellent. Anything else? Yes. Remember, yes, because he has provided water. He has provided manna. He has provided these things for them. So, he, so just the fact that you know, and but fair enough, isn't not true that sometimes we're like, Lord, can it not just be easy? Like, don't give me the next trial. Can I not just have it? You know, why do you always make me trust again? Why is it? There's, it seems like life is just filled with one difficulty after another difficulty. I was talking with Jenna, and, you know, Jenna has triplets, and life for her is very, like, just crazy. And uh, we were saying, well, how is life? You know, how are you doing? You know, and she's just like, well, I just make it through each day. You know, and then she says, somebody asked me recently, the kids are almost at potty training stage, how's potty training going? She says, not today. I'll think about that tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's like I can only deal with today. And, uh, but that's the way life is, right? And you could just hear the Israelites thinking, again, you know, why is this life this? But this is what God wants. He wants you to remember. He wants you to depend. Anything else? Yeah. Yes, just survival, right, yeah, it's good, yes, Bill? Yeah, that's right, uh, that's very good, you need that reminder, so um, also, it is there, to test them. Now, it, what I mean by test, there's always, when the word test can be, it can be um, to reveal and it can be to refine. So, so like if you take an exam, that usually reveals what you know, right? But technically tests are even, even tests in school are there to refine you as well. Hopefully there, if you don't do well, you're supposed to try to work harder. You know, it's, it's there to uh, reveal what you know, but also to refine you, and that's what God's doing. So he obviously doesn't think that they have arrived yet and that they are, everything is their, their character, their ability to trust and remember is all, all accomplished. So he's going to continue to give them tests, one more after another. And that's like with us too. Why is... Why is life so hard? Because God's still working on us. He's not done yet. Um, hard to remind ourselves of that. In the midst of the discipline, it's not easy to, to accept, but God is working in us to make us more like himself. That's what's going on. Okay. Now, again, how do the people respond to God's gracious act of not giving them water? Uh, Again, they gr- and we've seen that pattern before, right? They just are grumbling again. They're complaining. Who are they complaining to? 
Aaron and Moses is never, I, I'm not mad. I, I always ask people, um, they're struggling, they're angry, they're whatever. I said, you know, are you mad at God? Oh, no, not mad at God. I mean, I'm mad at this person, that person. I'm not mad at God. And I'm like, well, God's the one in control of all this. He's the one that, you know. <laughs> uh, but that we, we have this hesitation of actually getting angry at God, so we'll get mad at the, the ones God's using. And so they get mad at Moses and Aaron. Uh, and so they quarrel with them. Um, they make their first complaint, and how strong is their complaint? In verse 3, the end of verse 3. We would rather have died. Uh, you know, we, we think depression is a, is a new thing. Now, this maybe comes out kind of strong, but if you think you'd rather die than what the life that God's given you, that's, that's what a lot of depression is. So they're, they're dealing with that. They're struggling with it. Uh, basically saying, well, who are the other people that have perished at this time? Korah's rebellion. Uh, I mean, there's been, to say that we would rather have perished, uh, maybe some people have died. Uh, you know, the, the older generation has just died naturally in the wilderness. But to say that we would rather be of the generation that died in the wilderness than the one that's going to be taken into the promised land, pretty strong, isn't it? Um. Right. They don't, just so everyone hears that, they don't have a very big trust factor. Um, they are, well, and um, turn over to the book of Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10, right before they go into the, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm just going to read verses uh, 38 and 39. Well, I'll read, I guess, 37 is where it starts. Uh, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. And, and I think that what we see is that God cares a lot more about our faith and our trust than we do. We care a lot more about the blessing getting the blessing, being comfortable, get, you know, getting, but God cares more about our trust. And that is a hard, and he, it's not going to be difficult for God to give us the blessing. He's powerful enough to do that. But in this life, what he cares about is your faith. Your faith is what brings him glory in this life. And, and, you know, um, it is easy to look at the book of Numbers and think, what is their problem? But the truth of the matter is, this is what we struggle with. We struggle to, te- to trust God. Every new problem, every new temptation, every new struggle, it's like, why are we still dealing with the struggles that we're dealing with? And, and I think the book of Numbers helps me because it tells me, number one, God is used to his people not being able to trust him. Okay? So so what do we say about God? He is very patient. Sometimes in the book of Numbers, and even in the book of Exodus, it has looked like God was more angry and impatient, and that Moses says, hold up, God, hold up, God, and Moses' intercession is what keeps God from being impatient. But in this passage, Moses is going to lose his patience. And God is the one who's going to keep being patient with his people. Which is really awesome in this passage. 
So, um, all right, um, kind of giving big picture stuff there. So in verse 4, what do the people ask in verse 4? They ask a question. Yeah. So, and, and now this is a, this is, you know, we, we look back because we're just seeing it as a story and we're like, well, we know why he's brought him. He's going to get him into the promised land. But think to that. They came out. They were here. They've wandered in the wilderness for, for uh, 40 years. And now they're still here. They're not here and they don't have water. And they're just like, is this all that life's about? What have I been doing my whole life? Right? They've gone their entire life and they're still stuck in this wilderness. And they're like, why have you done this? You ever feel like that in your Christian life? I mean, there are, there are times, you know, in the Christian life where you just think, has, my life has not turned out what I thought it would be. And, um, you know, and so they're asking this question. Um, I said, we are like the Israelites. We simply focus on our momentary lives in this world. We can become consumed with fear and frustration and disappointment. And we can even begin to say, my redemption has not done me much good. Those are all real issues. And I will tell you that the younger generation, this is the question that they're asking. They're looking at the faith of the older generation and they're going, eh, I don't know that did them much good. And they're wondering whether it's going to be good for them. That's what's going on. Um, all right, and then in verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> initially, what can we learn from Moses and Aaron's reaction? They took it to the Lord. That's a good thing. They fall on their faces, which would be humility, right? Submission, which is also a good thing. And then how does God respond to them? What's that? He appears. Yeah, he comes, shows up. He's there, his presence. He speaks to them. I think this is interesting who tells Moses to have a staff in his hand? Because the staff is going to be part of Moses' rebellion. But who tells him to, to have the staff? God does. Isn't that interesting? It's almost, Again, it's like the very thing that God knows is going to expose Aaron's, I mean, uh, Moses' anger. Uh, he tells him to have it. And it's, I think... It's not real clear. You know, Moses had his staff. This may be Aaron's staff that he's telling him to take. It may not be his own staff. Um, I don't know that. could be. Um, this, yeah, that's right. This is, this is definitely Moses. Yeah, very good, Debbie. It is Moses' test. Uh, and then how does Moses fare in verses 9 to 11? What, is, what does he do? He loses it. You know, he strikes the rock, which, you know, in some ways you just think, I mean, all of us have, you know, you hit your finger with a hammer and then you just, oh, you're mad. You know, you just, here's, here's Moses and he's striking the rock. What's so big deal about that? That's right. That's right. Now, don't worry. Your pastor never gets that impatient with you guys, so you're doing just fine. I don't know. <laughs> but the, the reality is, um, can you imagine Moses? Number one, 
he has had to deal with these people's rebellion for 40 years. I mean, you can understand his, his frustration, right? Um, what's, what I find interesting is even he strikes the rock, water still comes out. And what does the book of 1 Corinthians tell us about that rock? It was Christ. That rock was Christ. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You see, God intends to give mercy to his people. And Moses... I think is even a little bit miffed at the mercy of God here. I don't know if Moses even expected water to come out of the rock when he struck it. He's mad at them. And he's he's angry. And at this moment, God is more merciful than Moses. He is more patient, he is more merciful. Now, why is this important for us to see? Yes. Yes. So, up until this point, would you have maybe wondered if Moses was the Messiah? He'd done nothing wrong. He was the one that interceded for the people at every point. He's the one that God spoke to face to face. He's the one that did all these things. We as a people, if you were Israelites people, you needed to know that Moses was not the one. That there would be somebody coming who would be more patient and more merciful than Moses. And that's Christ. You need to know he was not the Messiah. And that Moses is going to need a Messiah as well. Because in the end, Moses doesn't even get in the promised land on his own merit, does he? (laughs) Yeah. Right, when it says that rock was Christ, he took the anger, right? So Moses is wrong in being impatient, but there is a righteous anger that is actually being poured out that is there that that we see that Christ took that upon himself. We receive the water because Christ was struck for us, right? Yes, Christian. No, it, that is absolutely right, Christian, and I'm glad you see that. I understand that as a, as a pastor because uh, I want to see God work in your lives. And if, there, if I see struggle, if I see disappointment, then I want to be mad at God because he's not doing what he promised to do in, in other people's lives, right? Um, and I think that's part of Moses, too. I think you're right, um, So the same issue occurs with all of us. We go through struggles. We see the struggle before us. Um, We don't recognize that struggle as an opportunity for us to trust God. We see it as an opportunity to complain, you know, and praise the Lord that he's patient, right, that we have Christ. um, And so on the one hand, we should be taking this passage to teach us to be people of faith, to not you know, to try to catch ourselves. It's, it's one thing to recognize that we are like the Israelites, like we, our natural disposition is to not trust, but it's also good to see in this passage, oh, but Lord, lead me to higher ground. Make me someone that actually trusts you in the midst of difficult situations. That's what this is all about. And that's exactly what the writer of Corinthians, Paul, says 
was part of the reason why we're reading this, is so that we wouldn't be like them. We would, we would actually learn from these mistakes and be more trusting in the midst of trial. That's what he wants us to do. Uh, this is the event in which God will tell Moses he can't go into the promised land. But, so you think, oh, is Moses not saved? Because the promised land is a symbol of salvation. But I think we're going to see as time goes on that God is going to uh, uh, clearly indicate that Moses is a member of the eternal life. So we'll keep going. Verse 13. Uh, Erica, would you read that for me, please? Oh, here comes Mike. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and then keep the microphone because I'm going to have you read 14 to 22 in a minute. Okay. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through them he showed himself holy. Okay, so here's the question. How is it that God is showing himself holy here? How does he show himself holy in this incident? So all we have is that Moses gets angry, Moses strikes the rock, Water comes out at this point. How does he show himself holy? He doesn't strike them dead. So part of God's showing himself holy is to show himself different than men, right? And men are impatient. Men are not uh, uh, merciful and kind. And so part of showing himself holy is that he is merciful. Maybe also just that he also... Has he's just too in giving the punishment to Moses? Yes, it it does show. It shows that even Moses needs a redeemer. Moses is not good enough to get into the promised land. Um, These waters of Meribah, um, there are several, uh, I think there's more than one event in the wilderness where this occurs, but these waters of Meribah become a symbol of the hardness of human hearts. So turn over to Psalm 95. And who wants to read Psalm 95? Yeah, you go ahead. Keep reading it because you're going to read later in a minute. Yeah, Psalm 95. Whole Psalm. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to, to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, so there was a, at least two episodes of the waters of Meribah. Um, one of them is at the beginning of the wilderness wanderings, and then there's, of course, this one here at the end. Um, and so the idea of putting God to the test, where you're basically um, telling him, uh, you're not good, you're not faithful to me, those sorts of things... That's really a real issue with the people, right? I mean, that's their, their heart. They're complaining in that way, so it's a real issue. 
Um, and uh, the writer of Hebrew, or the writer of the psalm, actually looks at this as a, uh, it kind of universalizes it. It says that that problem is the problem that we all face at all times. To complain against God, to be angry towards him, to tell him that he's not good, that his salvation is not good, that's the problem that we all face. And he says that the solution is instead we're supposed to praise God, we're supposed to be thankful to God, we're supposed to trust God. And he says, if you see that's the main picture, don't harden your hearts today. And what would harden their hearts look like? Rebellion. What else? Grumbling. Right? Not humbling. So if you humbled yourself and you say, oh, I'm sorry for being so grumbling and, and, you know, Lord, forgive me. Do you think God's going to be patient with you? Yeah. But if you harden your heart and you say, I have a right to be angry with God. I have a right to be bitter with God. I don't, you know, then you're hardening your heart to him. And that's, that's the problem that we face in our world today. People lift their noses up at God and blame him for every trouble that they have and that they have a right to, to like, I don't know how to express this, but in, in Turkey, we were there. You had people coming to you all the time and asking you to um, buy things. And uh, one of the Turks came to me one time. He says, listen, don't tell those people no thank you. Don't tell, she says, just go. If you just do that little motion, they will know that you're done. <laughs> and, uh, but that's kind of what we do with God, right? You know, we just like, or the world does anyway. And we don't want to be like that. We want to be people that endure suffering and continue to praise God and continue to thank him even in the midst of trials, knowing that he's testing us and we want to be people who continue to have faith. Uh, so the psalmist brings this up. It's also brought up in the book of Hebrews, the same thing, talking about the rest of God, and, and they turn to Hebrews 3. We'll look at it there. We're going to read 7 through 19. Christian, why don't you read these for us? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my test, my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelling heart, letting you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we... You're, you're doing good. Through 17. I know or, I'm doing good. <laughs> through 19. Through 19. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Um, have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end... As it is said, today if you hear my, his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? What is not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not this? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of 
Unbelief. Okay, so let me try to, this gets a little bit confusing. I said there's two different, what I call the waters of Meribah, or two different times where they are uh, dealing with this. The one is at the beginning, and this is in Exodus 17. They talk about uh, this struggle uh, with water, and, and uh, God, Moses intercedes for them. But God is basically angry with them because of unbelief, right? That's what, that's what and they, they wander through the wilderness for 40 years, hardened in their unbelief. They get to the end. Well, let me stop right there. Um, so the, the lesson is do not harden your heart in unbelief. Don't do that. That is the, that is the struggle. Um, those of you who are older, you know there's plenty of times where you've had opportunity to just leave God and hate God. Younger people, life's going to be difficult. You're going to have challenges. It's going to be very... Uh, and so you're going to... It's easy to harden your heart towards God and his promises and to just think that he's not good. And, then to, and that's like the lifelong lesson for every Christian. Um, but when we get to the end... Our event right now that we've just looked at in the book of Numbers, it's, I find it interesting that, that the, um, the real, uh, um, the one who is most tested is not the people. The people have proven themselves that they're not good. In this situation, the one tested is Moses. In this situation. And if you turn over to Psalm 106 quickly, Psalm 106, uh, 32 and 33, talking about the steadfastness of God and his goodness and his faithfulness and his patience in this whole uh, chapter, it says, they angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. So um, in this, there's, they test God at the beginning. Unbelief is always something that is, uh, makes God angry. He wants us to walk in faith. That's, the, that's how we please him. So when they harden their hearts in unbelief, that's not a good thing. That'll prevent them from going in the promised land. But it's also a test for Moses because he then reacts to their unbelief and anger and bitterness as well. Okay? So trying to step back and just learn the lessons from this. Wherever you are today, what's, what is it that God's calling you to? It's very simple. He wants you to believe and trust. That's it. That's what life is. So what is your situation? I don't know. Yours is different than mine. You got difficulties, you got challenges, you're struggling, you know, whatever. Um, God wants you to continue to cling to him. Yeah, why don't we bring the microphone to him so that he can... Uh, do that. So, well, no, it's not for the people here. It's for the uh, people online or, you know, who will hear this later. Yeah, I, I always see Moses as representative of the law. And in this case where Moses with the staff hits the rock, which mm. is Christ, mm-hmm. and then I kind of I kind of see Christ again here as the, as the mediator because he takes the full brunt of the law mm-hmm. in its very judgment sense. And then uh, because it is Christ, and then he turns it into the water that we get the living water, the gospel, whatever you want to call it, salvation. I kind of see, that that's how I kind of see Moses mm-hmm. as no. also part of the reason why he doesn't enter the promised land too as the representative of the law. But anyway. Well, uh, yeah, okay. Um, what I want to say is that, um, and I'll, maybe I'll try to just define this as the law here. Let's do this. 
Okay, the law of Moses is trust God fully, obey God fully. You trust God fully, you obey God fully, life. You get life, okay? The problem is we, I'll draw a little sad face, we are underneath the law because we have not trusted God fully and we have not obeyed God fully. So the law is crushing us at every point. That's what it does. It tells you you have fallen short. And I would argue that even Moses is in this position. Okay? All of us have not loved God, we haven't trusted God, we've not obeyed God fully. Okay? So, um, part of not hardening your heart, and if you understand the book of Hebrews, you understand this, you have a true mediator of which you are supposed to take all of your rebellion to, all of your lack of trust, all of your unbelief, and trust in Christ to save you, right? That's your, that's your trust. And what that happens is, it is like, instead of being always crushed by the law, you're now up here. Whoops, that's a terrible... So you now, instead of the law crushing you at every moment, because Christ has been struck, God's mercy, God's God's compassion, God's patience has been with you, not because you're, you're better and you're fully trusting God, no, but because of Christ alone, you are no longer under the law being crushed by it. But is it not true that God still wants to you to grow and progress and live your life in one of trusting and obeying God. Still what he wants. Still the goal of the law. It's not like, oh good, Jesus saved me so I can go on being this you know, bitter guy that hates God. No, he's, he's lifting you out from being crushed by the law so that you can learn to grow and walk with him. That's what's happening. And I think all of this is happening here. We needed to learn that Moses wasn't up here naturally because who's the only person that was up here in his own life? Christ, only one that was there. The only way that you get up there is because you're in Christ, right? And that's what you have to live. But is it not true that every Christian can, can give example after example after example of the patience of God, the steadfastness of God, how often he's been merciful to not crush me in my sin. I mean, he's, we all can give testimony to this, right? That's what's going on, uh, I think, in this passage. So I agree. Moses, as, as the, the covenant man, the, the big guy, he falls short. So he can't get into the promised land by himself either. But I would argue that Moses does get in because he's in Christ. So, um, okay. Um, Let's go back into numbers here. Okay. Um, Fourteen through twenty-two. Our next passage. You guys, you guys have the mic still? Oh, you got it back there again. All right, um, Bill, you want to read? This Bill in the back. I forgot we had two bills. Moses sent messengers from Kadesha to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met. How our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. 
and we cried to the Lord. He heard our voice, and he sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kedisha, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through your field or vineyard or drink water from your well through your land. We will not pass through your field or vineyard or drink water from your well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, lest I will come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Okay, um, we are in this region right here, see Edom right here, in this southern region, okay? Um, mind you, Israel has how many people in it? A couple million people, <laughs> an army of like 600,000 men. I mean, they're a huge number of people, right? And they're, you know, it'd be like, say, can you imagine, we, talk, we complain about the borders in Mexico and people coming across. Can you imagine two million people coming all at once, and they basically said, hey, we're just heading to Canada. Don't worry, we're just passing through. Yeah, can you imagine, it'd be like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, so, so this is kind of the situation. You have this huge amount of people, they're coming through this land of Eden, and, uh, uh, Moses actually goes and addresses the king of Edom. How does he address him? He sent messengers, but what does he call the Edomites? Or actually, what does he call himself towards the Edomites? Brother. Why does he call the Edomites his brother? They're descendants of Abraham through... Did I, get, did I get that right? Is it Ishmael? Or is it, uh, it's Esau. Yeah, it's Esau. Um, um, so, so these are like cousins, like cousins, right? Of course, it's under year, year, year. Not really, not really, not really, um, feeling, feel, feeling that much love between, huh? Right. Yes. Uh, how does how does how does Moses make messes to him? We're not we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna eat your land if we if we have to drink your water we'll we'll pay for it. Um, all these I mean these images come to my mind when I think about this. Um, during the Civil War, uh, the, uh, uh, Lee's army goes into north and they like they like, they like pay for for the for the. You know, they go to all the first and they say we're gonna take your, your food but we're gonna we're gonna pour it for it. Problem is problem is they're paying for it. Uh, like, uh, southern money, which is like worthless. So anyway, but they're like, yeah, we paid for it. You know, so I, guess, uh, I think these examples in history, I actually understand the beat quite well. We really do not need to through our land, period. Uh, so yeah, God is not going to be happy with him. It's the picture. Go back to the blessing on Abraham. What does it say? Like Genesis 12, Genesis 15. Um, Everyone curse you will curse, everyone bless you will be blessed. So Israel represents people of God. Edom says we are, we are the people of God. We blame them, God us out of Egypt. We see now, Moses, he didn't heal him. You'd recognize here the people of God, unblessed Abraham. Uh, and then Moses says, oh, we're going to wait here, come up this way. I'm going to go to you, right? Again, this is murder and pence of God. I'm going to give the whole list history. But if you do the warning study that we come at the, the end, you just follow Edom throughout the bowl. That is incredibly beautiful Edom writer. Could have wiped them now. And Israel will come up here, they're going to wipe out peace right here. Destroy them. Og and Behan, they're going to wipe them out. God doesn't want them to wipe out the Edomites because he's patient and long-suffering with these Edomites. Now, but if you follow throughout all of the history of Edom, God's going to crush the Edomites in the end. In fact, you even get to like the, the, uh, the prophets 
um, at the end of Israel's history, and they will, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, they will tell you that God is going to crush the Edomites. And why is he going to crush the Edomites? Because of how they treated his people. So it's like it goes through all history. Um, and I, I mean, every time a Christian is martyred, every time a Christian is slighted, every time a Christian is treated poorly, you know, God remembers all of those. And he's going to, he's very, being very patient with Edom. He tells his people to go all the way around him. But um, in the end, Edom, uh, they represent not just the race of Edomites, but they represent people who refused to recognize the blessing of God on Israel and then uh, treats them poorly. Um, yeah, we're not done with Edom yet. They'll come back up again. Um, all right, let's finish this chapter. 23 to 29. Um, Carolyn, you want to read? Yep, 23 to 29. At Mount Hor, near the border of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give the Israelites, because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Get Aaron and his son Eleazar and take them up to Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up to Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and when the whole community learned that Aaron had died, the entire house of Israel mourned him for 30 days. Okay, so again... Think of big picture. What was our big picture lesson about Moses? He needs a mediator. What do we know about Aaron, who is the high priest? He needs a mediator too, right? He's not it. So you, you learn it at the one. It's almost like God is speaking uh, out of his two sides of his mouth. On the one hand, he's saying, oh, Aaron, Moses, they are not, they're not it, right? Aaron cannot go into the promised land. You are going to die, Aaron, before you get into the promised land. And yet, what happens in this very passage? What do Moses and Aaron do? Yeah, they, they, they transfer to Eleazar, Yes, history. Yeah, right. You know, I agree. I agree. And yet, he still uses Moses and Aaron to do it. He's just told it, Moses, "You're not the right one." Aaron, "You're not the right one." And yet, these are the people that he says are the ones that have to transfer the message that there's a new priesthood. And you could just think about Israel's history, and you could say, "Well, is Eleazar the true mediator?" No. Next generation, you go down, is it Phineas? Is Phineas the true mediator? No, no, you just keep going through history until you get to Christ. Christ is the priest, the priest that we've been waiting for. So you're looking, you're looking at the Old Testament as one failure after another. The only true hero is Christ, leading you to Christ. Um. Um, why do you think the whole house of Israel weeps for Aaron? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I agree with Mary. The fact that he's stripped means that he is losing his, um, you know, he, he's fallen short, he's failed. But I do think the people continue to honor the priest. They continue to say that he was our priest, just as they would honor Moses. He was, he was the one. I think God actually honors Moses in, a little bit later because he'll take him up to Mount Pisgah and show him the whole promised land and basically say, this is, this is yours. So um, anyway, uh, this, they will mourn him for the same time that they mourn Moses, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, I think this just the longer it is, I think, uh, is, it, is it Joseph that honors his dad for a pretty long period too? Um, but when you, when you honor somebody for that amount of time, it is an exalted honoring. It's not what you would do just for anyone. So, yeah. And it's interesting because even though the people of God were complainers, they're grumblers, in some sense you can see that they're doing the right things too. And I, I think that that's true of us as well. We are not just all bad. God is working grace in our hearts, and uh, we can see this, this happening. So, so this is the turning point. I think it's very important that at the turning point, when God leads his people into the promised land, and this will be the teaser for next week, he leads them into the promised land. Is it going to be based on the perfect obedience and trust of the next generation? <laughs> no, it's not. They get to go into the promised land, but again, if Moses and Aaron can't go in based on their own righteousness, then nobody gets in because of their own righteousness. The only reason why the second generation gets into the promised land is by God's grace and mercy. So, um, and that's really where we are today. What's your hope of eternal life? What's your hope of getting to heaven, Bill? Christ alone. Does that mean that you should, who cares whether, how you live? No, of course. You're, you're trying to love and trust God. You're trying to walk with him. You're trying to obey him. You're trying to give um, glory to God because of your trust in God. That's what you're trying to do every day of your life. You want to walk by faith. This is, this is why the uh, Christian life is not just a moral code. It's not just... <laughs> I'll end with this. Um, I'm reading this book on uh, the foundation of Australia. It's called A Commonwealth of Thieves. And, um, you know, because they they put all the prison convicts on a ship and sent them to Australia, and that's how Australia gets started. Well, there's a preacher there, and he's like, uh, it was really interesting, but he's, he's trying to preach to them about grace and free will and God's sovereignty, and the and, like, the governor of the land says, just cut that out. Just tell them to, to act rightly. You know, just, like, just be, tell them to be moral people. That's all we care about. Well, God cares about more than that. He doesn't just want to make you moral. He wants to make you people who trust him and, and lean upon him and walk in dependence upon him in this life. That's what he wants. What's that? Faith alone through Christ alone. That's, that's the message. We're not a Christian Church, if we, that's not our message. If it's just be good people, that's not it, right? I mean, we do want to be good people, but that's not what it's primarily about. But that's what you're trying to do every day of your life. You want to walk by faith. This is, this is why the uh, Christian life is not just a moral code. It's not just, <laughs> I'll end with this. Um, I'm reading this book on uh, the foundation of Australia. It's called A Commonwealth of Thieves. And, um, you know, because they, they put all the prison convicts on a ship and sent them to Australia, and that's how Australia gets started. Well, there's a preacher there, and he's like, uh, it was really interesting, but like he's, he's trying to preach to them about grace and free will and God's sovereignty, and, the, and like the governor of the land says, just cut that out. Just tell them to, to act rightly. You know, just like, just be, tell them to be moral people. That's all we care about. Well, God cares about more than that. He doesn't just want to make you moral. He wants to make you people who trust him and, and lean upon him and walk in dependence upon him in this life. That's what he wants. What's that? Faith alone through Christ alone. That's, that's the message. We're not a Christian church. If we, that's not our message. If it's just be good people, that's not it, right? I mean, we do want to be good people, but that's not what it's primarily about.